Rich said, I am the treasurer, and no, I'm not going to speak about money the whole morning. Um, I won't bore you that way, but I did feel like I should recap a little bit on our last year. I know you saw me quite a bit towards the end of the year, um, encouraging, pledging, not begging for money, but just encouraging us to look at our finances and to consider pledging more. And last year our budget was for 200,000 K, that's what we were shooting for, and we weren't sure we would make it, and by the time we got everything all balanced out, we actually had a surplus, so we had a $11,500 surplus, and so that's pretty amazing. Um, I know that's because of all of you working together, all of us working together, and that'll, that, those funds will go towards our next year's budget, so thank you for that, thank you for being a part of the community in that way. Um, this morning, I was got up, looked in the mirror, and I don't know how, maybe it's just my age, or I don't know what is part of balding, and the body's rejecting balding, I'm not sure what it is, but all of a sudden, I like, have this big hair sticking out of my eyebrow, like just sticking straight out, and it's like, yeah, where'd that guy come from? Tuck it back, and it flicks back out again, it's like, almost like an antenna tour make contact with the International Space Station, I don't know what, but it just wouldn't go down, so I yank it out, and it's like, I don't know, the body's rejecting being bald, so it's pushing hair out other places, but <laughs> it's joys of getting older, I guess, and I don't see myself as that old, but it, however, the, whatever happens during the night, it seems to, crazy stuff happens, and um, last week, Keith was speaking to us on the resurrection and just um, Jesus knew coming back to life again. And I really, a phrase he had that stuck with me was how sometimes we think we've lost our faith. And in reality, it's maybe more a thing of we've lost our hope. And that really stuck with me. I've been mulling over that all week, kind of just thinking about that, processing that, and I guess in relation to what I feel I was supposed to speak on today, and I could just kind of carry on that theme a little bit, and that's partly what's led me to this whole thing of, or this title of business as usual, question mark, I doubt it, and just hope I can make sense of that to you. Um, I'll get this all working yet. And just using, explaining why I'm using this term a little more sometimes when we hear the pe- people use the term in the business sense, especially business as usual, usually it has the connotation or the implication that there's been something negative, bad that's happened in the past. Maybe there's been a flooding or there's been a tornado or a fire or something like that, and the business is trying to open up again, or maybe they have opened up, or maybe they're under construction, and, but they want to give the impression that business is as going on, is going on as usual, and sometimes that's the case. Sometimes you can tell it's just being held together by a thread. If you bump into the wrong wall, scaffolding's going to fall over, or you'll get a paint can on your head. Um, 
have this a little bit with my business when I go in to check some tenants' places. They have an issue there. They'll want me to come in there, and I was like, oh, that's a nice new picture on the wall. And, and so whenever I see that, I suspect there's something behind the picture. And <laughs> so sometimes there's a hole in the wall, and it's like, oh, what happened here? And, but anyways, it's like this whole thing of we have... We like to give the impression that things are moving along, that things are going along well, and in some cases they are, and sometimes they're not. And so focusing on that whole part of they're not as well, um, just give a little brief synopsis. Keith talked about the couple, Jesus, possibly Jesus' uncle and aunt, that were traveling back from to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem, and they were discussing what had all happened, and... Um, and maybe that was, they're leaving because of their pain. Maybe they're leaving because they just needed to go back to life, back to their home, deal with things at home. And um, so that was happening. And the disciples, they were just kind of in between, in limbo here at this point. They had known that they were told that Jesus was risen from the dead. Mary Magdalene told them. And then Peter and John did the sprint to the, tomb to see if the tomb was actually empty, and it was, and they were still not sure what was happening here, and Jesus met with Mary Magdalene, she thought he was a gardener, so there was this, there's a lot of people weren't sure what was happening, and this whole time the disciples were, um, for various reasons, I think they were just not sure what was going on, and so they were locking themselves in their room, maybe it was their man cave, they were locking themselves there, and I think there's a few things that were going on. They were probably scared, um, reasonably so. Their leader had been captured, had been killed, and there was also a lot of doubt there, disillusionment. They were like, what's going on here? We thought he was our new future king. He was going to take over. He was going to get rid of the Roman imperial system that was hovering over them. And <clears throat> anyways, Jesus, a few days after he had met with Mary Magdalene, he also showed up in one of these guys, the disciples meeting. He just showed up through the locked door and showed himself to them. And most of the disciples were there, everybody except Thomas And Jesus says to them, peace be unto you, peace be with you. And it seemed like the disciples were on board. They believed that Jesus was actually alive, he was real. But you sense that there's still something lingering. They're not, still not quite sure about something. Um, something still isn't quite sitting right with them. And Thomas, being he hadn't been there, we, we all know this, or most of us anyway, that he is like, unless I can actually see Jesus and physically touch him, I'm not going to believe that he's real. And he always gets a hard rap. People almost make fun of him. like, oh, he's, why didn't he just believe everybody else could believe? And yet, I have to think that I, a lot of us, including myself, I would be that Thomas, I would be that guy if 
I had known I'd walked with someone, lived with them for three years, and been with them almost every day. And then they suddenly get killed. They, he gets buried. And then there's rumors, people saying that he's alive again. He's walking around. They go, that's not physically possible. It's ridiculous. And so I would, even if it was good friends telling me that, I probably would be quite skeptical and holding back. And I think there's a little bit of that going on that we're just, we're sort of in those shoes sometimes too, where we're feeling skeptical of things. And anyways, Thomas does finally get to meet Jesus. Jesus comes to them a second time in a locked room. This is a week later, so now this is about eight, ten days after Jesus has rose from the dead. And again, he comes to them in a locked room, and he shows himself to everybody, to Thomas, and Thomas believes, and he's like, wow, it's amazing, you are real. And then you'd feel at this point that the disciples should be at a point where, okay, we're good now, Jesus is alive, we're Everything's in line. We should be able to move forward. And yet it seems like they're still not quite sure. They're still holding on um, to something. And they're just not quite sure if they can totally grasp where Jesus is at with them. If Jesus is leaving them alone now or if he's going to stick with them now. I think there's just a lot of questions still lingering with them. And I'd like to just we'll pick up kind of at this point... And this is where Peter jumps in, and he just says, okay, we're going to go fishing. See, I'm not sure what's going on here, and maybe part of it is being locked up in a room for two weeks, or in and out of this room, in hiding, whatever. They're not, and Peter finally has had enough, maybe he just needs fresh air, I'm not sure what. But I'm just going to read this story, if you can follow along here, it's... Um, John 21, starting at verse 1. So later Jesus appears again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the others reply, we'll all go too. So they went out in the boat, but they caught Nothing. And this isn't too surprising for fishing, right? A lot of us enjoy fishing. I've had the opportunity to do a bit of ice fishing this winter, and once or twice it did okay, but there's a few times where it was just a good day being outside, but no fish. Anyways, at dawn, Jesus stands on the beach by the disciples. But the, sorry, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He calls out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. So here they are, they're fishing away. It's possibly how they were fishing with nets like that, is what it's presumed. Oh, missing some, here we are. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there was so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped it off for work, jumped in the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the load of, net, 
loaded net to the shore, for they were only a few hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net wasn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them some bread and fish. I think it's kind of interesting that there's, you can just tell here, they're still unsure who Jesus is. I think their skepticism is more because he's possibly he's changed. Keith talked last week about how he seemed to have changed his, maybe his, um, how he's, how he's perceived or he could change his um, perception or he could fit in in different ways and possibly that's what was going on here that Jesus was showing up in ways that they weren't used to seeing him as. And either way, um, they were just not sure what's going on. And I was find it really interesting that Peter's wanting to go back to fishing. Um, this is, as we know, that Peter and a few of the other guys, that's what they did for their occupation before Jesus called them to work with him three years ago. And so it was something that they were comfortable with. It was something they knew and I think there's a bit of that going on. They just, Peter needed something he could grasp, something that he could control. He knew how to fish. He knew how to handle that. He was comfortable being in nature, possibly just being in the city and town all day for the last three years was just draining on him. Or possibly he was just concerned about having money. Maybe he needed, he had bills to pay for. He felt like he had to do a hustle, side hustle to get some money there to pay for things. And it's interesting that I did a little bit of digging on just to figure out how much these fish would be worth. And 153 large fish would have been considered a, an impressive, huge catch from what, and the large fish supposedly were given to the wealthier people. The poor people couldn't handle or couldn't pay for the large fish. Um, an average size fish back then would have been probably equivalent to about two loaves of bread and about a half a dozen eggs. That's kind of about where it landed. So if we, in our terms, that's this amount of fish would come in around $1,000 maybe. So a pretty significant catch to go out for and cat to bring it in. And I guess, yeah, along with this here is still this ongoing, lingering doubt. And a little bit on doubt, I think sometimes we see doubt as a negative thing, and I'm not sure it always is. I think there's, if we have doubt in our lives, if we are doubting, that also shows that something's still alive inside us. We're not totally, we haven't given up yet. I, I'm quite sure if we have doubt in our lives, it shows that there's a, a conflict going on inside us. We're not sure maybe where we're at with things, but it shows that we're wrestling. It shows that there's still some level of faith inside us. And I think if we're in a place like that where we feel like we are doubting a lot of things, it's okay. It's okay to be there. Um, it shows that 
we are wrestling with something. And then just going on a little bit to finish this out here. Um, after Jesus has served them the bread, then he says to them, so as I'd said before, he's met with them twice, two times he goes through locked doors to meet with them. They're in hiding, they're away from the prying eyes of the religious leaders, are being scared, they're going to be captured, whatever it might all be. Now this third time Jesus meets them out in their own surroundings, fishing, kind of coming full circle, it's where he met them three years ago. They were fishing as well. And after breakfast, Jesus says, or asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Meaning this job, meaning the fish. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus says, then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus does this three more times, and I don't want to get into that so much right now, but that Jesus was doing that to reinstate Peter just to give him confidence again. As we know, he was the one who uh, denied who Jesus was on the night Jesus was crucified. He, didn't, he said he didn't know who he was. He just pretended it was, he wasn't related to Jesus at all. So I think the disciples had the perception of having lost everything they knew and understood about their leader. So there's this still ongoing thing that they were just like, something's just not adding up. I'm not sure what's going on here. I don't know what's going on. We've been with, been with Jesus for three years. He did all these miracles, and he, he walked out of crowds when people were going to stone him, and then all of a sudden he lets himself be crucified. He disappears for three days, and then he's alive, and yet he comes and goes. We don't know what's going on here. So there's this, they still couldn't quite grasp what was going on. And I, at this point now, with Jesus meeting with them this third time, they finally, things click. They're like, you know what? He is still the same Jesus, but he's asking us to step out. He's asking us to take things a step further. I, this whole time, Jesus had been giving them the hope, and yet they kept locking themselves behind doors. They were, because of their own insecurities possibly, their own fears, and maybe just not fully understanding. They kept saying, no, we can't be outside. And yet, there's another whole side to this. There's just these these disciples who were confused and concerned. But there's also all Jesus' other followers who most likely had never, hadn't seen that Jesus was alive again. And instead of the disciples being in hiding, they could have been out telling other people that, hey, look, he is alive. He's, he's around us. He's given us hope. He's giving us a new life. So I've been in Thunder Bay about 15 years now, or Marcia and I have been here together as a married couple for around 15 years. And one of my first jobs I did here was a cab driver. And it was one of my bucket list things I wanted to do is be a cab driver. And I just thought it would be kind of neat. And so I did that for about six to eight months, drove cab at night. And I enjoyed it for the most part, but it also it shows you the most seedy parts of town, most seedy, depressed aspects of the city. And 
I was just thinking the other day about how much Thunder Bay has changed from 15 years ago. There's, there's been a lot of negative press about our city the last few years, but I think there's been also a lot that has come around when we think of the waterfront district, Port Arthur area, the marina, the Bay Street district, even May Street. These areas have changed a lot. They've cleaned up, quote-unquote, um, small businesses are opening up, coffee shops are opening up there. And so in some ways it feels like things have gotten better, and I think they have at a certain level. But another thing that this has done is these seedier parts of town, they've got cleaned up, and it gives us the perception that we're, in some ways maybe we feel like we've dealt with some of our social issues. We're not seeing as many homeless people maybe around as we would have before, but they've just been dispersed more. They're, they're still there, and I think it's easy for us to avoid that, easy for us to not consider, or it's easy for us not to see them around us. I know different times if you go to Home Depot or any of the grocery stores, there may be someone there asking for money, and sometimes we go through this mental process of, or I know I do, I'll speak for myself, we, we philosophize things, we figure out, like, you know what, I don't know if I should be giving them money, I might be, might be reinforcing some bad habits, I might be helping them with an addiction, or it's like, why aren't they looking for work, or we go through this whole, whole thing, and we miss the point of just meeting them where they're at, maybe giving them money, maybe finding out what their name is, um, can be a first step. And I guess where I'm trying to go with this whole thing is like, I think sometimes all of us, we are locked in our own rooms or we're on our own fishing trips. Um, we're not wanting to get involved with the people around us. It doesn't have to just be the homeless people or it doesn't have to be just marginalized people, but we have people all around us, maybe in our work environment that we see that there's someone having a hard time. Maybe there's someone going through a divorce or just struggling with finances, whatever. And we're, I think we've been given the hope. Jesus has given us the hope, and it's easy for us to just be stuck in our rooms. Sometimes we're stuck in our rooms because we want to, we feel like we haven't figured out everything yet. We need to rationalize, have to make sense. We have to figure out everything to know how to do things exactly. We want to make sure we don't offend people, and which are all good things, but it, it can be a thing of us spending so much time problem-solving that we miss meeting people. So I have a little problem with recycling, and my family will affirm this, that I struggle with the whole idea of recycling here, and I believe it in principle. I think it's a good thing to do, and maybe partly because we live in Murillo and things are a little backwards there. Recycling doesn't happen the greatest. You go to the dump there and there's two bins there for recycling. And you know, you come into town here, there's about seven or eight different ways things are separated, but there it's like paper products and then everything else. And so I'm just like, wow. And I know where those bins are going. Sometimes they're getting hauled. Or this is what I'm thinking. They get hauled to the dump. They're just... It's not being recycled, so it's just like 
semantics and which I know isn't the right attitude to have because it's if we want to if I want to teach my kids to recycle I need to be willing to recycle I need to be willing to keep pushing this thing forward and I think sometimes this is the case with us in way we relate to people outside our our circle outside of our quote unquote room outside our fishing boat is we we see all the problems we see where things are going wrong and we try to think that through and rationalize that and enforce it and allowing us to not be involved and i guess as i said before so we are sometimes waiting to god to move give us a sign teach us another skill or we feel like we need to learn another skill and when all we need to do really is to open up that door to go outside get out in the real world um and not being worried about the whole thing of whether we're enabling somebody or not or more concerned about how can we empower people around us how can we show people hope and i think another part of this whole thing of giving people hope or finding time to find give people hope sometimes we're just so busy we don't have the time to stop and help that person with a flat tire we don't have the time or we feel we don't have the time to just stop and find out that person's name that we may see out on the street or we feel we don't have the time to just sit beside a work colleague and ask what's really going on what's happening there but i think if we can carve out time and really it doesn't have to be a lot often i don't think but just enough to make that human interaction it can be all the difference you know sometimes we get seen as being strange people we meet sunday mornings here inside a building a building with few windows and people are non-christians may look at us and say what in the world are you guys doing why do you do that what's the point of that and it can feel like we're locking ourselves behind closed doors and not really being in touch with the real world and i think that can be the case sometimes but i also think we can use this time to connect with people to get recharged to spend time sharing together but we can't let it stop there and i know there's a lot of talk about this we want to keep encouraging ourselves to be involved around us and i different ways we can do that is we've been working on our home groups i know this is and which is an extension to sunday mornings and for some of us home groups maybe feels like a new shirt or a new pair of shoes it doesn't really fit it's a little stiff it's not maybe quite what we feel is comfortable um but i think if we give it the chance it has a lot of potential there and personally i think it can be a good place where we can invite people that we're in contact with maybe we don't feel that this sunday morning is the place for that it's too big it's too scary whatever the case may be but i think it can be a time our home groups can be that place where we can do that so like i said i for the disciples their fishing trip became their turning point it kind of is where jesus is saying to them look this is great you're you've come a long way and he's been so patient walking with them through this meeting them 
there three different times, first two times behind locked doors, and he doesn't give them a, a hard time. He doesn't say, what are you guys doing? Come on, you know I'm with you. Get out there. Stop being cowards like this. He doesn't. He just meets with them. He, he knows where they're at. He keeps encouraging them. He's like, he's like, look, I'm with you. Or he keeps saying, my peace is with you. And finally, on this fishing trip, he says to Peter, and I think to the whole group, he's like, okay, you've done this now. You've had your, you've been through this. You know, you've walked with me for three years. You know what I believe. You know I'm going to be with you. And now Jesus is saying, I want you to go out there and be real. I want you to feed my sheep, as Jesus says, or to get involved in people's lives and not be stuck in our fishing boat or not be stuck behind our locked doors. I guess I just leave that as a challenge for each of us, wherever we're at. Um, I'm not trying to be critical or anything like that, but I think I'm, this hit me this week thinking about this, where I'm at, what am I doing that I'm st- stuck in or what am I doing that I'm avoiding relating to people. Um, we've been giving a message, we've been given the light by Jesus and it's so easy for us to, because we know so much, we can intellectualize everything instead of just laying that all aside and trying to build relationships, trying to connect with people around us. At this time, we'll move towards our communion time, and this is a way we can connect with God. It's a time we can reflect just in, it's a personal time we can just look, evaluate our own lives and just think about what Jesus has done for us and, and just what, what we can do in return. And it's a, a community way of connecting together.